Wow, it's good to be here this morning to see familiar faces. You're still smiling. It's awesome. It's been a long kind of hot stretch in the summer. Uh, It is really good for Kathy and I to be here. We've had some awesome experiences. Won't be able to share all of those with you today. Um, One of those, because there's a guest in the crowd, we had an anniversary the first part of July. And uh, we went over the mountains in Pennsylvania to a guy's place, and we were going to have dinner with them that evening. And it was our anniversary. We didn't know anybody, hardly knew that. And we get ready to sit down, and here the whole family meal is their whole family serving us. Full with a... Where is he? What kind of a dinner did you call that, Dan? Rocklet. Rocklet. Yeah. You'll have to ask him about that. He's all the way from Pennsylvania just to help us so we don't stumble and fall this morning. He's propping us up too. Uh, Dan's a good brother from a, from a Kaufman Church in Pennsylvania in that area and is trying to live out God's presence in the context of his business too. So it is really good though to see all of you and to reconnect. Some of you have probably started coming since we were gone, maybe don't even know who we are. Uh, uh, but this morning, we're starting a, new, we're starting a brand new series. Um, that you may know. And so the goal this morning would be, as we think about uh, resetting and rebooting into the vision that's ours, we're called, we are to replicate Jesus, that's Journey's vision, being disciples who make disciples. Would you say that with me? Replicate Jesus, being disciples who make disciples. That's that's our vision for, for this stretch of time. We're not sure even how long. But when we think about that vision, this morning, our goal would be for us together uh, that God's Word would refresh our confidence and that would increase our joy that comes from being in fellowship with God through Jesus and in fellowship with other people. That'd be our goal this morning as we begin the study from 1 John. If you have an outline uh, in your bulletin, there's some points to follow along. And this is, this is not for you to see what we've done. This is for you to write notes about to take with you from here because it's not so profound what we say but what is profound is what happens when we leave and go out these doors because that's where God really has us doing life on the ground. Does that make sense? Let's pray. God, it's so good to be here today. It's good to be back with family, the Journey family. And we thank you for it. We thank you for the privilege of having the time away. But this morning, God, as we open up this series and look at 1 John, uh, may these verses come alive uh, for us, for each of us, as we think about uh, where our relationship is with, with you and what it means to be in deep fellowship. God, that would be our prayer. And that your Holy Spirit would meet each of us right where we're at this morning, sitting in this space. And other things that we're thinking about for this afternoon, tomorrow, and next week, maybe we could just put those away for the next few minutes to be totally focused into what you might want to hear, what you want us to hear. And it's your Jesus' name, it's your Son's name we pray these things. Amen. Well, um, Kathy and I had opportunity to spend some time uh, with our family in the first part of our sabbatical. We have a daughter here in Wichita. We have a son in Harrisonburg and a, and a son who just moved in June to New Hampshire. Uh, so my description of New Hampshire is that's where they have the snowblower hooked behind the lawnmower. Well, in the summertime, it's really a gorgeous place. We haven't been there in the wintertime. We got to go with a lot of mountains, a lot of lakes. 
uh, Eric, Derek and his boys, or his wife Tina and their two boys, Hans and Henry, they're busy. They love the outdoors. And so when we got there, it was on the ground. We were, went to three different lakes. We paddleboard. We hiked. We did a lot of things. We want to tell you a story a little bit of, as an introduction to the sermon about, about a, a mountain we climbed together. The mountain is called Mount Kearsarge. It's, uh, it's 1,200 feet vertical climb in one mile. Okay? So it's a pretty steep run, okay? Trek, you might say. It took us about two hours. We stopped every 30 minutes for water and to just kind of rest our uh, muscles a little bit. Um, and Derek was really intense about saying, we have to take the rest. You have to take water because you're going to need this by the time we get to the top. Uh, that's us four guys, the two grandsons and our son and I, four of us did that side of the mountain. We did the long trek. Some other people took the short trek. It was hard to. I climbed the same mountain. Um, but Tina and I drove for about 45 minutes, and I'll admit they were hiking already by the time we did that 45 minutes driving, to the other side of the same mountain. And so we climbed and ended up at the same peak. Um, but, and so it took us, I don't, we didn't time ourselves, we're not bragging hours, or anything, but we ended up getting there about 10 minutes after they did, so it was, it was a high mountain, and, and the picture there is from that mountain, and At what was top. gorgeous about it is, it was just a big rock face, I don't even know how big it was, but it was a 360 look out, because we climbed up one side, they did the other, and we ended up at the same point, so it was awesome. Um, and if you've ever hiked a steep mountain, you probably can identify with me and you would believe what I just said. And so you can identify on a certain level. So what you want to think about is if you have climbed that mountain, how much more you would identify with what we're saying because you would actually remember feeling the muscles and feeling the, the heat and the tiredness. I mean, it's not as hot there, but it was warm. And so... Um, that you would also have more of a sense of knowing what that feels like, right? Now, if you don't even know me at all, and you're not sure you can trust me, you might not believe any of it. I mean, there's not a picture of me there, so how do you really know? But if you once learned to know me and know that I would not tell you something that wasn't true, then you would begin to believe that what I did was true, and you would say, wow, that is a big thing to do, right, Howard? And it was. It was physically very exhausting. We had a great time, though. But anyway, when we think about that, then, um, you can personally trust us. And so it, the point of this is that sometimes we do experience things and believe things that we haven't personally actually experienced. We begin to believe because we trust the person that has told us mm. what we're saying. And so it begs the question this morning, at what level can we believe Scripture? Do we believe scripture? Do we really believe it? Do we really, at what level do we understand Jesus? And do we understand and experience Jesus uh, personally? Uh, we don't experience him physically, but yet we believe. How's that? Because we know and believe that the, the, that the printed word, the Bible is true and the inspired writers wrote it. And so that maybe people on the, from the past, our parents, teachers, uh, Sunday school leaders and pastors have shared with us and we've read it for ourselves. It becomes ours. It becomes personal with us. 
We've said at Journey that to, to be a deep follower of Jesus, a disciple who replicates themselves, is a disciple on three dimensions. It's a disciple who has a relationship with God up, this way. And, it, and, it's a, and, and has a good relationship and is secure in the relationship with God through Jesus. The second part is being in relationship in, in the context of community. That's us right here. But even greater, if we're, we can be in a missional community, small group, or another group where there's maybe a dozen people around the circle where we can have deeper conversations. And it's out there in the places where we're doing life together. And so today... Uh, This series is encouraging us uh, this morning specifically, how am I doing in my up relationship with Jesus? How's it going? And how am I doing in deep relationship with other people? Those are kind of the two pieces that we'll be kind of teaching around and we'll come back to at the end. So follow along as, as we read from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John here believes it's important to do repetition. So verse 3 is almost a repeat of 1. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And we write this, why? To make our joy complete. This letter is attributed to John, who was a close, uh, a close follower of Jesus. One of the closest three. Jesus had three people, Peter, James, and John, that were Christ, the closest friends to Jesus. Then it was the 12 disciples. Then it was others around there. But in, <clears throat> also at this time, John is kind of, appears to be like the oldest apostle, living apostle. He had been an eyewitness. And what he was seeing in the Christian community of his time was this, that people were being persecuted for their faith, Jerusalem had been destroyed, and people were kind of losing their passions. Like, first of all, I don't even want to make sure that I let you know that I'm a Christian because I might get beat up for it. And so he, John was seeing Christianity cooling down, yeah, in the lives of people. And so he's calling the church back. And he was confronting the false teaching that pushed against, Jesus didn't really come in human form. Come on. He couldn't do that. But John confronted that. John wanted more than anything for people to understand that the one who existed from the beginning, in the beginning, Jesus was with God in the creation, that Jesus in that beginning is real life for you and I today and for the future. And since people hadn't been with Jesus because they were not as old as John, he told the stories about how he had walked with Jesus. He talked about the resurrection. He talked about the ascension, these things that we now read about in the Bible. He did enjoy fellowship with Jesus and then through that with the Father. So by others, Jesus was even called kind of a simple teacher, a misguided fool, some kind of prophet, but a lot of people didn't really know what to do with him, and yet they all agreed that he left, definitely left a mark in history. First John addresses some of the doubts from both the first century, and we believe that those, some of those same doubts are present today when we think about that none of us were present to touch and be with Jesus either. Jesus was and is God in the flesh, 
and God in focus who was seen and heard and touched. Over and over, John repeats this, as you'll see as we go through today. People today ask, and you might even have asked yourselves, is Jesus real? Is he real? Does he really care about what I'm, what's going on in my life? Does Jesus really care about me? Well, in the first century, Christ followers were being scattered due to conflict and persecution. Yeah, they were, they were fearful, and some were walking away from their spirituality. Some stood strong and ended up giving their life because of it. So today, what causes people in our culture to lose their faith? This is a participation question, by the way. What causes people to lose faith today? Thoughts? What? Hurt. Hurt. Hurt causes people. What else? Loss. Losses. Hurt and losses, for sure. Courtney, you said something else. Judgment. Seeing bad things happen to good people. Sure. Sure. So also, those are really good things. Thank you. I think in our culture, maybe I'm the only one, but our, I feel like the culture pushes me toward keeping it all to myself, individualism, all of my life. Does anybody else kind of feel that? That I have to have it all figured out, and at least I have to put on a face that looks like that, because none of us really do, by the way. And I can't let anybody else in very much on that. And I'm also, I'm also impacted by my glowing rectangle. It's called an iPhone, by the way, or some kind of one of those kind of those kind of things. There's more information on there than our minds can process in a day. It's consumerism. It's those things like that. Do you think those are some of the things that cause us to kind of cool down in our passion for Jesus? I kind of think so. I kind of think so. And so... Once in a while, though, and it happened this summer in hurricanes, earthquakes, and more recently, Friday night, a major fire there on Yoda Road, were things that are catastrophes that people step into, and we forget all about kind of holding our cards tightly because there's something bigger than us. We pray together in public, and it's even shown on TV We gather and we care for each other. And we get a glimpse almost that when we're not too, when we're not so much inside ourselves, we become who we're created to be. Huh. I wonder what might happen if we could live life more like that. So we'd like to look a little bit closer at a few of the verses, uh, one verse at a time, as John states his faith by saying, I, John, do believe this. And so that's a statement of faith. So 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John's first letter to the churches uh, opens by just emphasizing Jesus' very nature. The words, that which was from the beginning, talks about the word of life that the apostles had come to know and experience. They had actually walked with him. They knew. It describes Jesus as a physical expression of an invisible God. Now, that's something we we just can't hardly imagine today, but we believe it, or we say we believe it. Earlier, John had opened his first gospel, the gospel just called John, 
by saying in verse 1, 1, God came into the, wor- the world as a human in Jesus. So in, in John 1, he actually says, calls him Jesus. In 1 John, he just calls him the word. Um, and he, John, had been an eyewitness in Jesus' life. So in other words, John had been a completely, or Jesus had been a completely physical being, even though some false teachers denied his incarnation, which really means Jesus being born in flesh, coming in flesh, claiming that God could not. Uh, part of Gnosticism, which was one of the beliefs of the day, would say that there was no way that God could become a human, so they denied that. But John was determined to hold back up the truth of Jesus' humanity, and that was vital in that century because that's what he was fighting against was the beliefs that Jesus was not human. And I believe it still is vital today because that can seem a little insignificant in some people's eyes. So this point sets Jesus apart from other good leaders, other good spiritual leaders even, because he was the son of God. Otherwise, we could be saying that he is just like any other good man, good teacher. I'm intrigued by the term at the end of verse 1, word of life. Um, That Jesus gives spiritual life. He gives physical life. God gives a spiritual life. Jesus was there in the creation. So Jesus gives physical life, spiritual life now, and eternal life, which is yet to be out there a ways. In the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, the spoken word, which is called debar, was the kind of the creation. God spoke his word and creation come into being. It's really important. Later, the source of God's message was spoken through prophets and kings and judges. In the New Testament, for Jews and both and non-Jews, the term logos uh, signified or kind of was word going out, but it was beginnings. The word, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. So the word is important, but at the end of that phrase, the word is life. And I think that's loaded for us. Certainly, physical life, spiritual life. Jesus is the image of God himself that gives us, gives us both physical and spiritual and eternal life for all who believe. The second thing that as, as, we, as we look at the outline, John says first, he owns it personally. I, John, believe it. Then he turns to the, kind of turns it back to us and says, you too can believe it. You too can believe it. So in 1 John 1, I'll read verse 2 again. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to you. This life then appeared in Christ. So John described Jesus as the one whose life is from God, and he repeated the fact again that we've seen it, we've touched him, he and the other disciples had been there to see Jesus. But in this, in this particular part of the scripture where it says he was shown to us, that literally says his godliness was shown through the humanness that they saw. I found that kind of an interesting statement, that his godliness was shown through the humanness they saw in him. We don't always think of it that way. But the people who were listening to John's message, even if they had only heard of the miracles, they hadn't seen it, the healings, they were much younger, they hadn't been there could sense, though, from John's urgency, the truth that he wanted them to to get. Jesus has eternally existed with God and has now brought real life. 
In 1 John 5, 12, it says, He who has the Son has life. He who, who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So this is saying that when we believe, we actually have life now. It's for eternity as well, but it begins now. John is, at this point, a much older, respected person, as we've said. He's got wisdom, and people are listening to him. But you can also sense the urgency. As an older man, he's thinking, I won't be around forever, and he's seeing the falling away. And it's just become a real passion for him. And I think that comes through, and we'll see later in, in later sermons, uh, the urgency that, you, that John is speaking through this, to be sure that people know that this is the Son of God. The physical relationship is important, just like the spiritual relationship is important. And there's an urgency. There's an urgency. If we go to verse 3, it says, We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. And then these, in the last part of the verse, So that you also can have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The fellowship piece comes in two places in verse, in verse 3. We think this is really an important part of our discussion because we are not created, hear this, to do life alone. You are not created to do life alone. Our culture may tell us that. Advertisement, consumerism, individualism may tell us that. But God's word, in God's word, we understand in Christ's likeness, we aren't created to do life alone. And I, the example I think that Jesus sets for us is if we look at all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we get about halfway through those Gospels, Jesus begins telling his closest disciples who he was in deep fellowship with, guess what, you guys? We're going to have to go. We're heading toward Jerusalem. And it's there I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be crucified. And first they said, no, you can't do that. But the more he talked about that and the more they were making their way in that direction, the more they began to believe it. And so we see Jesus, the, the, that Jesus included this fellowship piece and told his closest people closest to him what was coming. And we see it most profoundly in the three closest people to him, Peter, James, and John. And do you remember what, what, that he invited them to come and pray with him in Gethsemane right ahead of his arrest? They fell asleep. But it was in his darkest hour where he needed fellowship the most, where we see Jesus inviting them into his, in with him as he prayed. <clears throat> so we can see that if it was important to Jesus, it's most likely important to us to have fellowship as well. So Jesus' life in us brings deep fellowship. And as we have said, Jesus invited disciples to be with him in prayer. And in, in the, the terms that we use now here in Journey, that could mean a missional community where you have a small group of people or what you would call a small group or Sunday school class where you have people that gather around you and you know that you can trust them with some of the needs that you have. So what's your experience? Can you or you can know with certainty that Jesus lives and that he can live in you? You can meet Jesus today in personal and intimate ways uh, from the pages of the Gospels as you read, but you can also meet Jesus as you meet with other persons during your some of the challenges that you may have in life or that we all have in life as eyewitnesses of Jesus ministry John was totally qualified to teach the truth about him and many of the readers of his letters like we said hadn't seen him Jesus before 
and that's similar in to us believers today we are like those second and third generation Christ followers we haven't personally seen or heard or touched Jesus but we have read in the scriptures and we have heard other people and ex and examples but we also can can begin to live into understanding who Jesus is taking just some time for personal time away where we can uh, spend time in in scripture and maybe journaling or or whatever our way would be now for me when I get discouraged or things don't go well I tend to pull back and I pull inside myself um, just a caution that came to me this week as we were preparing this I know Howard's not that way but that doesn't mean we still don't need to look at things in an honest way what reflections would I have when I pull off to myself what music do I listen to what books do I read what do I do with my time where do I go with my thoughts do I turn to dark things or do I try to find um, some consolation in God's Word and in prayer I do have to check myself on that because it's pretty easy to go to what's simplest and that can be just talking to the people that will agree with my problem and, and agree with me rather than get the real help I need. So I think whether you're introvert, extrovert, no matter who you are, just to look at where do you go when you need um, just some kind of an experience where Jesus is brought into the center of it. We experienced deep fellowship with you all 850 miles from here in the summer. Kathy's mother passed away. We're at uh, the gathering of visitation at the little town of West Liberty, Ohio. It's about 40 miles north of Springfield. And uh, it's the time for visitation. It was that evening, and so the family's in there ahead of people coming. And, of course, we kind of look around and look at where the flower bouquets are coming from. And finally, suddenly it's like, Kathy, come here. This one's from Journey. This one represents our deep relationships with the journey folks that was an awesome experience almost in a way that brought tears to us to realize that you all cared enough to do that for to send bouquet for us it was the prettiest one there <laughs> I gave it to mom's best friend <laughs> but even an hour later even what took it and ramped it to a next level was clear at the back of the room walked in two people who had driven from here 850 miles for that evening to be there with us. And it was Dale Kaufman and Phil Kaufman. And I want you to know, they represented you all. But when we saw them, I, I just told Kathy, look back there. All of a sudden, for me, I didn't see anybody else in the crowd. I just went back and grabbed them, and they grabbed us. And here's what they said. We want you to know that the Journey family cares for you. That's what it means to be in deep relationships and fellowship with other people. We all need it. We're wired that way. We, when we allow ourselves to receive, I believe, the good news of Jesus and allow ourselves to be vulnerable with others, it includes the third thing in the outline, uh, being real. It's for real. We live in a plastic, cardboard, uh, stay pressed, grin kind of a world. I, I believe Jesus wants God's people today to be real about their own selves and about our life together in Christ. And, and he writes in verse 4, and, we, and John says we write these things so that our joy could be complete. Wow, what does that look like? 
Well, when we hear some good news, what do we do with it? When we're joy-filled about something, how many of you have your little glowing rectangles with you? You probably have them in your pockets. You might have been even looking at them, checking where dinner's going to be. I don't know. But we, go, we put stuff on Instagram, Facebook, all the different messaging types. We call people on the phone. We, we say, guess what happened to us? We're pretty excited to tell people. Hmm. There's something about good news that has us want to share it, doesn't it? For sure. How much more, or how much should it also be that God's people first engaging in, in the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus and out of that step into deep relationships in the fellowship with other people. I believe, my friends, uh, as is described in the message, verse 4 says, your joy will double our joy. I think it's joy on two levels. There's a joy of knowing my sins are forgiven. That's my relationship with Jesus. There's a joy in knowing that I'm loved by a group of people in deep fellowship. And so it's a double joy. Are you experiencing that? Are we experiencing that? I believe shared experiences through deep relationships multiply our joy. I'm going to say that again. We believe shared experiences in deep relationship multiply our joy. So the question then to share together a bit is the good news. Is the good news of Jesus love, forgiveness, grace, joy, peace. Still good news for you and for me. Do you and I really believe, like the eyewitnesses did, that Jesus was who he said he was? In John 20, verse 29, it says, because you have seen, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So that was talking about us and others that came later. Mm -hmm. Regularly, we need to step back and reset that God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. And that Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to, to die, to be a sacrifice, to take care of our sins. And just like we have to reboot our computers, reset our phones, back to original settings sometimes because things get so muddied and messed up on there, the basic things that God is love has to be reset for us sometimes, otherwise it gets lost. Um, and then when we live in deep relationships with others, then we can encourage them and they can encourage us to share our life together with others. So we invite you this fall to start, just begin thinking again about resetting your relationship with Jesus. Or for the first time, begin a relationship with Jesus. And then, very, very important along with that is to share that with a trusted friend a pastor, a teacher that you know and that you trust. So that that will not only mean a lot to, to you, but that's where the doubling the joy comes in. It'll also mean a lot to, to that person because you will be sharing together. The last thing I want to spend a little time on this morning is a reflection at the end of your outline. And that is, how will others know that Jesus is real in me? You might just jot down a thought on that outline right at this moment. How do others know that Jesus is real in me? If I would raise my hand and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then answer the question, perhaps, how do others know that Jesus is real in me? Where does it, where does it display itself? 
while on sabbatical this summer, we had opportunity in coaching some of these churches. One of these churches uh, that we'd like to share a story from is a church in Rochester, New York. Chrissy's one of the leaders there. She's a single mom. She has two boys. They're teenagers. She's living in a community that's 80% other ethnic groups, and there's a lot of gang violence. And as a leader there, she struggles with associating with neighbors because they might know she's a church leader and that all, we, all that we really want from them is for them to come with us to church. We're really not so interested in the relationship that we have with them. And so she feels like, it, sometimes she said, I'd just like to move to a safer neighborhood. Doesn't feel like that's been her, the freedom yet for her to do that. And even has had, as from her boy's request, put up a basketball goal in their driveway to try to engage some of the younger, the teenagers in the area um, and, and give, their, give them a place to hang out with her boys. It's not a, at all unusual for Chrissy, she says, to have a police presence in the neighborhood and they often hear gunshots. Mm. So she is constantly aware of the cultural differences the danger, and also even places she shops. She says, I'm trying to shop more right in the neighborhood locally because she is different from her neighbors. But there's always been a, a distance between them relationally because that. But just recently, um, in fact, we talked on a, the last conference Zoom with them conference. was just, a, just about 10 days ago, and she told her group and us about a story that had just happened. It's, it's this month earlier in September when she t- returned home from work to find that the front window was broken out of her house. And of course this put her in a panic a little bit. Where are the boys? Are we safe to go into the house? Should we do something else? What are we going to do? And she said, normally, I think I would have immediately called my parents. They don't live real close, but I've called them to calm down, but then called a couple guys from the church to come and check things out and help me. But instead, she said, this time I felt like I needed to go to my neighbor next door. So she went to her neighbor, and she has had very little interaction with her before. They just recognize each other, kind of. And um, she said, I started telling her and asking her if she'd seen anything. Um, And she said, I just totally fell apart. I broke down. And so this woman, you know, took her in her arms and hugged her. And she said, I just could tell immediately we had a different relationship. Our relationship moved immediately to a different level. And the fact that I hadn't even thought too much about it, except that the things we'd been talking about with them in some of our group gatherings was learning to know your neighbors, being, being aware of what your context is and who the people are. She said, I just felt like I needed to reach out to them. And she said, this has um, changed, totally changed the, the relationship now. We visit more often, I feel closer to her, and it also just affirmed for them that they did not, they should not move out of the neighborhood yet. So we don't know where this is going. Um, You know, it doesn't make the neighborhood safer really, except she has another pair of eyes that care for her and she's, she's been vulnerable with them. So the story demonstrates for you and I that when we are confident in our relationship with Jesus, we're not afraid to be vulnerable and invite other people in. And that's what happened for Chrissy. It was out of her own vulnerability, asking somebody for something 
that she wouldn't normally ask that all of a sudden brought, the, brought the va- their value up too to say she really does care and she, wants, she, really does, uh, she, she really does want to be in relationship with us even though maybe she doesn't look like us. Maybe the skin color or eth- our ethnicity isn't the same, didn't make any difference, but she recognizes that this, this whole experience was God-orchestrated. And so this morning, as we reflect, as you and I reflect on that question, the praise team, I would invite them to come up. And, and they, as they come up, I would like to, for you to think about what's in the outline. First of all, could we say with John? John, here we say, I, John, believe this. Put your name in there. I, Howard, believe this. I, put your name in. Alan, believe this. I, whatever you put, put your name in. Sherry, I believe this. And we can believe this. It's actually true, and we can believe it. It is for real. And so when you and I, you know, as we sing this response song, it's going to be a familiar one. And the refrain is a statement. It is well with my soul. As we sing this song, my prayer, our prayer is for us. I believe the Holy Spirit would like for each of us to ask the question, is all well in my soul? As we make the statement, and if it isn't, find a friend that you can be honest with and talk and pray with you about it. Talk to Pastor Eric. We'd be glad to talk with you. Because I think this is vital. Our relationship with God this way is most important as a bedrock of our faith. And deep fellowship, which is the in part, supports that and gives us a place to, be, to, to grow and learn as we're vulnerable with others. I invite you guys to stand and join in as we sing these words.